0: That stormy yet wistful music you just heard was the beginning of the second movement of Johannes Brahms' second sonata for clarinet and piano. It comes from a new album titled Here With You, The Brahms Sonatas, plus works by Weber and Jesse Montgomery, featuring clarinetist Anthony McGill and pianist Gloria Chen or, my guests on this classical Chicago podcast from Sadie Records. It's episode number 48. And this album is our November 2021 release on Sadie. And those of you who've listened to these podcasts before know that every time we come out with a new release on Sadie Records, we have a new classical Chicago podcast. And it's quite a star studded lineup on this one. I'll start with Anthony, the clarinetist, who's making his fourth album for Sadie Records. And actually, by the time this podcast airs, we will have just recorded album number five, which we'll talk about later in the program. Anthony is the principal clarinet of the New York Philharmonic and the first African-American principal player in that organization's 180-year history. He is a recipient of the 2020 Avery Fisher Prize, one of classical music's most significant awards. It's not even given every year, and when it is given, it's given to people like Yo-Yo Ma, Emanuel Axe, Andre Watts, Midori, and Anthony McGill, so some pretty good company there. Anthony appears regularly as a soloist with top orchestras, including the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. And one of his most notable performances was at the 2009 inauguration of Barack Obama first inauguration, performing alongside Itzhak Perlman, Yo-Yo Ma, and Gabriela Montero in a piece written especially for the occasion by John Williams. Anthony is a regular collaborator with string quartets like the Brentano, Jack, Pacifica, Takash, Tokyo, and with other soloists such as Emanuel Axe, Gloria Chen, of course, Gil Shaham, Midori, he also serves on the faculties of the Juilliard School and the Curtis Institute of Music and Bard College Conservatory and is Artistic Director for the Music Advancement Program at the Juilliard School. And we're so proud and gratified that Anthony is a member of Sadie's Board of Directors. Perhaps most notable among Anthony's recent efforts during the pandemic was his Take to Knees campaign in protest of the death of George Floyd and historical racial injustice, which went very viral. Anthony, can you just talk a little bit about what that was about?
1: Sure. Hi, Jim. Hi, Gloria. Hi. (laughs) Um, Back in 2020, there were a lot of things going on, of course, with the pandemic. But then I was kind of forced into saying something about what was going on with racial injustice and violence in the world because I was a musician who was at home not playing music and I felt like I needed to, I had to say something perhaps with my words and eventually with my music about the state of the world. And it was my attempt through music and through the musical community to say that we shouldn't stand for this anymore. So I wrote these words, and I made a brief video of myself playing America the Beautiful with a slight twist in the harmony to bring attention to that we're not living up to our ideals in this world, in this country. It was my attempt to speak up in a personal way and also challenge others to use their voices and their power to speak up.
0: And of course, that harmonic twist that you reference was taking that Normally, very major key piece and switching to the minor at a key point.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that, for me, it represented that we're not living up to everything we stand for. When reading the words to this anthem, if you will, that we all grew up singing, America the Beautiful, Beautiful from Sea to Shining Sea, it was in the moment just a a missed note, but it represented a lot more. It represented that we really should be striving to make the world beautiful for everyone, not just for the few. Well,
0: that's it's really beautiful. The pianist on this recording is your longtime collaborator, Gloria Chen, born in Taiwan, a noted performer, concert presenter, and educator. Gloria made her orchestral debut at the age of 16 with the Boston Symphony. Following her second performances with the Boston Symphony under Keith Lockhart, she was selected by the Boston Globe as one of its Superior Pianists of the Year, and they wrote that she appears to excel in everything. Gloria is a recitalist and chamber musician who has appeared at Ellis Tully Hall, Library of Congress, Phillips Collection, many other prestigious venues, performs frequently with the Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center, She has served as the director of the Chamber Music Institute at Music at Menlo, a venue that, Anthony, you have certainly performed at many times. In 2017, she and her husband, violinist Suvin Kim, were named co-artistic directors of the Lake Champaign Chamber Music Festival in Burlington, Vermont, and have recently been appointed co-artistic directors for the renowned Chamber Music Northwest program in Portland, Oregon. Chen is artist-in-residence at Lee University in Cleveland, and I'm particularly interested to ask you, Gloria, can you talk about the pleasures and challenges of running Chamber Music Festivals?
2: Hi, Jim. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, Anthony. It's a great responsibility, and it's a lot of work, but when everything comes together, it's incredibly rewarding. And... To be able to make an impact in your community and to enrich the cultural landscape and give people experiences they otherwise may not have had, and those were in the cases as in string theory in Chattanooga, my chamber music series there, and also Lake Champlain Festival in Burlington, Vermont. Both organizations we founded 13 years ago and keeps growing, and just amazing to be able to elevate people's lives in those communities. And in the case of Chamber Music Northwest, which is a very well-established and respected organization that's been around for 50 years. And this was our first summer, actually, running the festival. And with an organization like that, the infrastructure allows us to really dream big. So we're able to present many more concerts with a lot more variety. We're able to commission a lot more new works, The summer, we had five world premieres in four weeks. And to be able to promote young musicians that we believe in and expand the education and outreach programs we have there, because you have to start young in order to make a difference. It's incredible to be able to have chamber music in all these different communities and make a difference.
0: That's really wonderful. So this album celebrates your musical partnership, the two of you, The title is Here With You and is a nice picture of the two of you on a staircase. Where is that staircase located, by the way?
1: It's at the Domena Center in New York, Midtown.
0: Excellent. It's a very attractive photo. The album booklet opens with a personal note that the first paragraph reads as follows. Once in a rare while, you find a musical partner with whom you share a particularly special bond, a deep, unspoken connection. This was the case when we first met 15 years ago, and that bond has continued to develop ever since. So can you talk a little bit about your history of playing together and how and when and why it all clicked so well?
2: That's all very true, every word you said. We first met in 2006 at Music in Menlo, actually. I remember it because I was a participant at the Chamber Music Institute and Anthony was a performer that summer, and I was assigned Brahms waltzes, Opus 39 forehands, and Anthony was assigned to coach me. (laughs) So it all started with Brahms that summer, and we became friends and started playing together. Quite frequently after that, again, it's very rare when you find somebody who speaks your language and appreciate the same aesthetics, and we just always had a great time playing together ever since.
1: Anthony, yeah. anything you'd like to end up? Yeah. As she mentioned, we started off at Menlo, and we started off with Brahms just talking about it. And it was interesting. When we first played together as colleagues, it was amazing because we didn't really need to speak about music very much when we played together. We just went right in. And in rehearsal, sometimes, uh, when you have to talk so much about the music, It means that it's not necessarily happening naturally, and that's okay, too. We often do that, especially with larger groups, but when you're one-on-one, to be able to listen to one another and to feel and to predict what the other person's gonna do and to have spontaneity in the live performance, which is slightly different, or when performing and even recording together, to be able to keep a good spirit together in the music is something that's really special and music is about just connecting and it's about being able to send that connection out so people can hear what's happening
0: great the main works the larger works on the program in this case are the two brahms sonatas for clarinet and piano and weber's grand duo concertante in your note you say it was your quote dream to record this music why
1: Well, I'll speak just about my life as a clarinetist first and then together as partners. As a young clarinetist, there are only a few pieces that you know that you really, really want to perform that as a part of your upbringing as a musician to be able to express yourself through. And these Brahms sonatas and the Vapor, these are the pieces of the few that have that capacity to change your life. And so my relationship with them has been my entire life as a clarinetist and my love for them. And when Gloria and I did our first album, it was a self-produced album, we had a different kind of repertoire. But at that time, all those years ago, we knew that we wanted eventually to record these pieces. And we've played them over the years. And every time we did, we were like, we should put this down (laughs) in a recording. And we need to have that opportunity to show because it's such amazing music that is so obviously personal for me. And so I wanted to share that and be able to bring that to an audience with Gloria.
0: And I'll just add that I'm very proud that your commercially released recording debut was with Sadie Records and included two other repertory pieces, the quintets for clarinet and strings of both Brahms and Mozart with the Pacifica Quartet. So, Gloria, why was this program so special for you?
2: The Brahms not as two of the most sublime works we have. And I remember first hearing Anthony perform, and I've learned these pieces in school. And to just imagine, wow, this is somebody that I would love to play this repertoire with. And to be able to play them together has been so special. I think what he was talking about previously, just having that trust And having the years to sculpt every note and shape everything together, it's really special. Yeah, to be able to record it, (laughs) it's unreal to be able to do that. So it's a dream for us.
0: Well, let's move on to the program itself, and the first piece on the program is the first Brahms Sonata. And I should note about these sonatas that they are very late works for Brahms, in fact, He famously came out of a brief retirement to write them because he was so inspired by a clarinetist of his day, Richard Muehlfeld. How does that history speak to you as a player, I guess especially Anthony in this case?
1: We take it very seriously as clarinet players and because it's such a gift to be able to have these sonatas. As wind players, we go through life with people telling us, usually pianists and string players saying, oh man, how do you deal with not having such great rep like us, not having such great <laughs> music to play like we do? You know, that must be terrible, right? <laughs> and we always say, wait a second, hold on. Brahms wrote the quintet, the trio, the two sonatas for us, well, not for us, but for Richard Millfield. But we feel like he wrote these pieces for us as individuals, actually, as clarinet players. So (laughs) to have these gifts, to be able to enjoy and share these with people is really important. They are some of the greatest things he ever put to paper in so many different ways. And you can hear a lot of his work in these little pieces, especially with these sonatas. It's interesting that just with the two voices, he manages to bring back so much of what he wrote and put them in these little works compared to some of the great large symphonies and the famous piano strings and all of those other works that they're talking about. He puts them all in these little sonatas and it's so special to be able to play them.
0: And I should note that these pieces come immediately with that little very short retirement right after the four sets of piano works, opus 116 through 119, which are recorded quite amazingly on CD by pianist Jorge Federico Osorio. But in any case, Gloria, do you feel some of that writing from those immediately preceding opuses in the piano parts?
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, as I get older, I find myself connecting closer and closer to Brahms and his music. And as we both get together each time, I feel like we just have more To add to Brahms, there's always more layers to it, there's always more depth, there's always another door you can open. For me, he writes so intimately for the instruments like no other composers. And so you feel every emotion that he's trying to convey in his writing and i think as when gets older you identify with more and more of everything that's in his music so it's really striking and to be able to experience that through music
0: well focusing now on the first sonata which is the first piece on the album when did you guys first play it together
1: oh the first sonata probably equally a long time ago <laughs> that's what we were saying <laughs> i probably started working on these playing them together a decade ago I would say. Mm -hmm.
2: Surely after our first album, I would say we were dreaming of what's next and starting to put pieces we really wanted to do in our recitals. And that's probably when we started wanting to do this.
1: And I think it takes a unique program to program them. So we would intersperse a Brahms Sonata here and there over the years. Not in every program. They don't work in every program. It has to be the right place, the right time in order to put that on the program. And as we did that, we started to discover different things each time we would perform them. And that's how we discover and grow together with these pieces.
0: Mm -hmm. Wonderful. We'll hear in just a moment a little bit of this first sonata, specifically from the Allegretto Grazioso third movement. Before we get there, can you give us a roadmap of the rest of the piece, then we'll come back to the Allegretto.
1: The beginning, it is very dark. It's intense. It starts off just Mm -hmm. with solo piano that begins this epic journey i imagine it to be at the beginning it is darkly intense and impassioned to start there's a lot of warmth and brightness as it goes along of course but that that opening is very orchestral with just the solo piano the piano is the orchestra if you think about what a piano can do it's not full of left and right hand things it's this simple in a way, it's the introduction before the storm taking us through. That's how I've imagined that first movement.
2: Brooding, and even with the unison, he could achieve that. With three-octave unison, it's just something brooding and dark coming.
0: It's in F minor, which tends to be a fairly intense key. Of course, it's the key of Beethoven's Serioso quartet, as well as his incidental music to Egmont. So I think you feel some of that in this piece as well. Any thoughts on the Andante?
2: That's got to be the most special, some of the most incredible writing in our repertoire. Even just the chords itself, you can't imagine those harmonies being together, but he is able to thread them in such a way that's just timeless and otherworldly. And every time I play them, it's something... Different. It's almost like some kind of heartbreak, but it's too precious to even speak of, you know.
1: Yeah, the intimacy that Gloria was talking about in the writing is very apparent here. There's some writing where you know that you are extroverted, that the expression is full of this extroverted energy. And in this Andante, I believe that it's quite the opposite. It's as though Brahms was writing for himself some of the most intimate beautiful writing is like that and so when you're playing it you feel like you're okay with playing it for yourself thinking about your life thinking about your loves thinking about reminiscing about those memories that are very personal for you and maybe not for others actually
0: Mm -hmm. interesting and of course the piece takes a much sunnier turn in the final two movements. Of course, that ending vivace brings it all home, doesn't it?
1: Oh, yeah, it does, for sure. It wraps up really nicely. It's so gracious, and it has a lilting feel in the movement we're going to hear. But in that last vivace, it all comes together in this larger context.
0: And while well, speaking of the third movement now, it's titled Allegretto Grazioso. So it is literally gracious and has that wonderful lilting feel. What would you like to say before we let people hear some of it?
1: Well, it's sweet and it's playful. And it's perfect for this because a lot of times we think of Brahms as being this larger, serioso feel. But in this, you hear the playful aspect of who he is as a composer. You hear the, the lightness of being in the way he puts these notes together. There are serious moments in it as well, darker sections, but... Overall, I think it's nice to know that you can dance with Brahms, too, in a light way.
2: Yeah, certainly a dance. hope you would dance <laughs> along with the music.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's hear some of that then. This is most of the third movement, Allegretto Grazioso of Brahms' Sonata No. 1 in F minor for clarinet and piano from his two sonatas, Opus 120, very late works for Brahms, as performed on their new CD recording. By clarinetist Anthony McGill and pianist Gloria Chen. You just heard an excerpt, actually most of the third movement, Allegretto Grazioso of Brahms' Sonata Number no. 1 in F minor for clarinet and piano from his two sonatas, Opus 120, very late works for Brahms, as performed on their new CD recording by clarinetist Anthony McGill and pianist Gloria Chen, who are my guests on this Classical Chicago podcast. So, of course, this album has both of the Brahms sonatas on it, So I wanted to ask you both how the two pieces complement each other and how do they differ?
2: I feel like if we were talking about the F minor in a way that's perhaps more of a mature person who's lived and experienced and reflecting on life and celebrating and the second E flat is perhaps more pure and innocent and there's just pure sweetness and glow and warmth and even from the very beginning that's quite different from the first sonata.
1: Yeah so in the F minor if you imagine the feeling in the one's body of having lots of uh, tension that is just uh, present and with this pressure this of weight to the way you're feeling the e-flat releases that yeah. especially at the beginning in the key of e-flat e-flat is a very wind wonderful key like the sound of the instrument sounds different in e-flat maybe that's for every instrument but for the clarinet it also it's a sweeter key it's a sweeter note so the first note you play on the clarinet it's like one of the sweetest notes that you can play. It's an F for the B-flat clarinet, but an E-flat sounding. And that note right away expresses a very different thing. And so it's an expansion and a variation on that, always. Not to say that there aren't heart-wrenching moments and really sad moments that I love, Especially in the, mm-hmm. the end of the first movement, it has always been one of my favorite passages to play, just in all of <laughs> <Me> music. <too. laughs> yeah. But there are a lot of smiles in that sound. Yeah.
0: Lovely. How often have you played these sonatas, and do you usually play them together on recitals or separately?
2: We actually had an interesting recital recently where I played the E flat with a violist <laughs> and <laughs> F minor with Anthony. Oh, fun! <laughs> that was quite different. And they're meant for both instruments, but it's so different, and the timbre and the sound, the balance and everything, and the timing also. Yeah, so that was a unique experience. Actually, with Milena, who is in the Dover Quartet. Oh, Burkett. lovely.
0: Actually, in her notes for the album, Andy Lamoureux, who just stepped down as music director of WFMT, our classical station, after 20 years in that job, notes that while being inspired by this clarinetist, Richard Mühlfeld, Brahms also managed to expand the string repertory as well because he did write the sonata so that it could be played on either mellow instrument, as it were.
1: Yes, it's a long-standing right. argument amongst clarinetists and violists. You know which is the <laughs> which oh. came first, the chicken or the egg. <laughs> I think
0: there's no question that was inspired by the clarinetist, but I think the argument is usually which one it works "quote unquote" better on. And I think the honest answer is both, but because uh, <laughs> right. it's yes, just so yes. magical either way. Yeah, I agree. Uh, because the opening of this piece is just so inviting, I thought what we might do is actually hear that first, and then come back and talk about the rest of the piece. So here is the opening section of Brahms Sonata Number no. Two in E Flat for Clarinet and Piano, Opus 120, as performed once again by clarinetist Anthony McGill and pianist Gloria Chen. You just heard the opening of Brahms' second sonata for clarinet and piano as performed on a new album by clarinetist Anthony McGill and pianist Gloria Chen on CD Records, our November 2021 release. And if you like what you hear, you can purchase the album on cdrecords.org, c-e-d-i-l-l-e records.org. You can purchase initially as a pre-order when it's officially released on Friday, November 12. It will ship not only from CD, but if you pre-order it on Amazon.com or Archive Music. And on that November date, it'll also become available on all the streaming sites, Spotify and Apple Music and Tidal and high-end sites like iDagio. This album should be everywhere, downloadable on iTunes too, so... Whichever way you like to consume your music, I hope you'll want to check out the whole album after hearing some of the excerpts on this podcast. Well, now that we know how this sonata begins, let's discuss the rest of it. We've talked a bit about the first movement, and I will remind people that we started this podcast with the beginning of the second movement. What makes that movement just so magical?
1: Well, it just has this sweeping, fiery flying quality. I like to call the way these legato, singing, soaring phrases are flying through the air, if you will. Sometimes with certain pieces I can see something. I can see colors and all these things, but there's this action that is taking place that is three-dimensional for me. When it's traveling, it enters and it's just going. It's pretty intense because it's not on the ground. It's soaring above it in a really exciting fiery way
2: and it has a middle section that's completely different yeah totally different totally
1: grounded and walking pace and yeah
2: yeah it sounds like a great massive gates opening up it's usually the other way around isn't it in the scherzo's and trios so that's also quite special here
0: and in her notes andrea lamarone points out that this sonata doesn't really have a slow movement so it's that middle section of the scherzo that mm. serves the purpose short as it is okay so we have the very inviting welcoming first movement and then the soaring flying as you put it, second movement what would you say about the theme and variations that ends the piece
1: talking about a walking pace it's one of these movements for brahms he often writes con moto something con moto like a tempo yeah. that is a tempo he's also the king of writing poco forte poco forte so it's not the tempo it's in between or it's not the dynamic it's mezzo voce it's not the dynamic but it's something smaller or more innocent and this movement starts off very innocently and it has this quality that is more peaceful at rest to start just simply Che we're just going to say this and walk through and take a stroll in music on the earth and be able to look around at what's happening, nature, the natural tempo. And then it expands from there greatly. (laughs) It has these charming moments that go back and forth from the clarinet and the piano. I describe it as searching for something and it's looking Mm -hmm. around, it starts off as a normal walk but then you're trying to find something, you're trying to find meaning. And really it just builds and builds from there into this grand, fiery, exciting conclusion.
2: Yeah, it's the only variation movement we have in the whole sonata. And it keeps searching, keeps building. And then it has the most celestial movement where everything stops. And then the last explosion comes right after that.
0: It is a beautiful conclusion to this pair of sonatas. Before we move on to the last work on the program by Carl Maria von Weber, there is a short piece in between, a bit of a late addition to the program. It's by contemporary composer Jesse Montgomery, who was recently named composer-in-residence with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. The piece is called Peace, spelled P-E-A-C-E, of course, and it's actually born of the pandemic. About it, Jesse writes... Written just a month after the great sadness of the first quarantine orders due to COVID-19, facing the shock felt by the whole globe as well as personal crisis, I find myself struggling to define what actually brings me joy. Anthony and Gloria, can you talk about this piece, including about the circumstances of its inclusion on this album and why it was added?
1: I discovered this piece last summer, and she just wrote it last year. And when I heard it, I had such a strong emotional reaction to it because of a lot of different things. Everything that we have talked about a little bit on this call with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the pandemic and COVID and no work as a musician and all these things that before I knew anything about Jesse's take on writing the piece, I felt all those things while listening to it. It was such an important thing for me and for us when discussing what to place on this program, that this is our dream album. This is the album we've been wanting to record for a really long time. And we're recording this in 2020. Not so many great things happened in 2020. And so this struggle for what brings us joy and Also, how music has meaning for us was so important to explore. And some people do all Beethoven albums, or all Brahms albums, or all whatever albums. There's not much room or space, they think, for something that is a distinctly emotional, present thing that is happening, that demonstrates those emotions that Jesse was talking about, what was going on in the year. And so when we were recording this, we were like, we need to make sure that we express where we were in this year. And I think this piece does that. It's like a beacon Mm -hmm. into the space that we all were in this year. As you have some paintings that look dark, they have some little point of light in the work. Some oil painting like in Rembrandt, and there's this little speck of light. This piece is that light in this series collection of works that brings sadness as well in its expression, but also brings hope. As musicians, we have the capacity to express things that were in the past and to bring them into the present. And I believe that what composers and creators like Jesse are doing is that they're bringing light to the future and light to the present in a way that shines a light and lifts the whole recording project in a way that is very meaningful for us.
2: As you mentioned at the top of the program about Anthony's Take Two Knees, inspired us to know what we can do with music and with what our gifts are. And we feel very strongly that it would not be right for us not to acknowledge this very particular time in what we're doing and making this album under these circumstances. In a way, this really cements this collective experience for us to not just record Brahms, but also have to include Jesse's voice on this album.
0: Lovely. And I should note, this was recorded at the end of October slash beginning of November of uh, 2020, so still long before we started to see any hope of vaccines and things like that, so still very dark time. Originally, you were going to record this for a video before deciding that it really belonged on the album as well. Can you just talk about those circumstances?
1: We were recording a whole program for a Glorious Festival, Chamber Music Northwest, in the same special, special venue. And fortunately, we decided to record a piece as a part of that program, that special program in that special place. So we had that ready and it felt like i said wasn't a separate project it felt like a part of the same thing and so much in our world in our distinction with genre what is music what is old music what is new music what is classical what is whatever music we separate things so much and in this program that we were doing and recording we as musicians we don't think like that we don't think about this kind of separation of forces It seemed to make sense to us as creative artists to have this voice is not something that's an addition, it's not an add-on, it's not a second thought. This is very much, this is the album that we're recording. That's really important to mention. It's not something that we decided at the last minute to throw in there. This is probably maybe the most important piece on this entire album, in our opinion. And I think that's really lucky that we were able to do that in that space and bring that to this special, special album.
0: When I said a late edition, I think it's fair to say that when you first came up with this album concept, this piece didn't even exist. Yeah, yeah
1: that's... totally. <laughs> yeah, that is fair to say, because it's true.
0: But I'm so glad you were able to edit. So let's hear a little of that now. This is an excerpt from Jesse Montgomery's brand new piece, written in 2020 and recorded in 2020 for a... 2021 album release. The piece is titled Peace, P E A C E, and it's performed once again by clarinist Anthony McGill and pianist Gloria Chen. Wonderful contemplative music you just heard was an excerpt from New Piece by Jesse Montgomery the new composer in residence for the Chicago Symphony Orchestra piece is titled Peace P E A C E and you heard that excerpt performed by Anthony McGill clarinet and Gloria Chen piano from their new Sadie Records album titled Here With You and you mentioned the special recording venue which was Mechanics Hall in Worcester Massachusetts is that right So what was it like to record there, and what makes the hall so
2: special? One of the most magical places for musicians, and it's magnificent. It's just the sound that it gives back to you, and it was a luxury for us to— maybe another gift of COVID in this time is to have the time to actually get together and make this album and record this concert, but also to have that hall to ourselves for a few days. It was so special. I've never heard and listened in such a way as in that hall. It just makes you listen so differently and you hear different layers and different sounds. It was very memorable for us.
1: Yeah, I think you have to remember that in October of 2020, most of us hadn't been in other spaces, period, let alone large Mm -hmm. concert halls with amazing sound. It's like not playing for a whole year as a musician in a space besides your living room. And then all of a sudden (laughs) having a solo opportunity to play a concert in Carnegie Hall. That's basically what that was. And it's Mechanics Hall, which is one of the great halls of the world. So there were a lot of emotions wrapped up in why it was so special as such, just playing that music there.
2: The sound, I think, inspired us to even play better.
0: That's lovely. And of course, you recorded that with producer Alan Bice, who is no stranger to CD listeners, as he has been producing the Dover Quartet's complete Beethoven cycle for us. The album that we released just ahead of this one was volume two, the middle quartets of that cycle. So what was it like working with Alan, and can you talk about how he did the recording setup?
2: So we filmed the concert the first day for Chamber Music Northwest, and then we recorded the following days. And Alan had different setups, I believe, for that. But Alan, besides being a fantastic producer and audio engineer, is a great (laughs) psychologist in a way. He was so attuned to our physical and mental state and knew just how to pace the sessions and how to make us feel comfortable. And so was able to draw out our best playing and as intense as the recording sessions are, make us give something quite special during those days.
0: So moving back to the program, the last work is this Grand Duo Concertante by Karl Maria von Faber. And I should note that just like Brahms was inspired to write for the instrument, the clarinet by Richard Mulfeld, and of course Mozart famously by Anton Stadler, in this case, Weber was inspired to write a whole bunch of different pieces, including concertos, by Heinrich Behrmann, so it has a similar history. And this piece is titled Grand Duo Concertante, and it's a piece in three movements. But how does that differ from a sonata?
2: Concertante is more like for soloists, so it's featured as soloists, and a sonata is more like a form, but it implies that both players are very virtuosic parts and very soloistic parts, which is the case in this piece. And it's really some of the most virtuosic piano writing I've ever done. So I think that's fitting for the title.
0: And in fact, uh, one early 20th century British critic referred to it as a double concerto without orchestra.
2: Mm. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's that makes <laughs> We're gonna sense. We're going to start saying that. <laughs> no, that's that's exactly what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Gloria is playing the orchestra part and the solo piano part. That's how many notes right.
2: she Right. It's also very operatic, right? So the whole second movement, I am indeed the orchestra, and you are the diva <laughs> of that movement. <laughs> True.
0: Earlier in the podcast, you talked about how this album program was your dream recording program and mentioned, Anthony, pretty much in the same breath, this Weber piece with the two Brahms sonatas for you, As a young clarinetist learning the repertoire, as a listener, I'm far more familiar with the Brahms sonatas than this piece. What makes this piece so special to clarinetists?
1: Weber is probably, how should I say, I think for clarinetists, Weber is the clarinet composer, especially when you're younger. Speaking of concertos and concertinos and concerti and concertantes, and one of the first pieces I performed, especially from memory, and competed on and learned was the Weber concertino. And so all of Weber's works, in a way, are even more important than the Brahms, as you can imagine. As a young kid, these are some of the first pieces. He wrote two concerti, a clarinet quintet, The concertino and this grand duo concertante, it's just a full repertoire. So most of the time, if you're going to hear a piece, if you don't know the operas by Weber, you're going to hear clarinet work by Weber before anything else. He's an important composer for us as clarinet players. And I can't overstate that enough. In a way, he's underrated as an operatic composer, as a composer Mm. of music, And in this piece, you get a sense of this capacity for really beautiful writing. As Gloria mentioned in the aria section, it's thought of as being light sometimes, Faber, but it is very serious, as Gloria can tell you. (laughs) Like, it is no joke. One way you can tell how awesome a piece is, and as performers we love this, is how crazy people go at the end of it. When you <laughs> perform the piece, and people go mad for this piece in live performance, so I hope they'll go crazy for it in their living rooms when listening to us <laughs> perform it
0: well, and in fact, we're going to hear the ending and when we get to the musical excerpts, so I think that will definitely test your theory and I'm Glad you mentioned that about Weber perhaps being underrated today, certainly in his day, he was not, and in her notes, uh, Andrea Lemero points out that. Both Berlioz and especially Wagner frequently noted their indebtedness to Weber and his compositions and in influencing their own. I was at Glimmerglass Opera Festival this summer, and they did an all-Wagner program called God's Immortals, which included some excerpts from the very early Wagner opera Die Fin, which is very clearly indebted to Der Freischutz and other Weber compositions. As I mentioned, this is a piece in three movements, just like a concerto. And the first moment has a wonderful marking, allegro con fuoco, so with fire. In her notes, Lamro notes that the piece features a constant dialogue between the wind instrument and the keyboard. How's that felt in uh, your performance?
1: You're constantly going back and forth, back and forth, the whole movement with A statement here and then the piano takes over and it's louder and better and then I'll have another response to that statement and it's this dialogue between both solo parts that makes it unique and special because there's no difference really in the voices and everyone gets to shine there's a lot of shining in this piece I think that's how he uses it also frankly it's fast it's loud it's fiery (laughs) There's no humility there, <laughs> and then once you have to kind of show off a bit. It just goes there all the way.
2: You commit to it all the way. In
0: contrast, that maybe with the second movement, the Andante con moto, where you describe that as more of, of a diva situation for the clarinet.
2: It's an aria. It's really just like a great operatic aria, and it's dark and stormy and has every emotion that you can imagine with an aria of that sort.
1: And one of the things Weber was famous for his clarinet writing is that before this time, there weren't pieces that were written that could demonstrate the vast virtuosic ability of the clarinet, the range of the clarinet. Earlier clarinets had fewer keys, and as the clarinet starts to develop, it got more range. And so what you hear in Weber's pieces for clarinet is you hear the highest possible notes and the lowest possible notes. You have the extreme of the vocal range, basically, of the instrument. And he uses all of that range, he uses all of that. And also with the piano, you're up and down the piano as well. And so this is something that's very important to the way Weber wrote for the instrument. And also in that movement in particular, you're gonna hear these extremes of expression that before this, you'd never heard in the clarinet repertoire or maybe any repertoire. It was an advanced instrument to be able to have this power Also, the sheer size of the sound of the clarinet at this point was something that was really impressive. It was a a great machine here, and he uses that to its full capacity, and you hear that in the expression of the sound in that movement.
2: Yeah, I think when I play Brahms, I play very differently than especially this movement where you were saying that it's like a whole orchestra, and it has that range, and it has that... Volume and so it's quite different writing by now.
0: And of course, that brings us to the Rondo finale, a really rousing conclusion that we're about to hear. What would you like to
1: say to set that up? With this movement, you just have to put your seatbelt on because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> you're going to jump into a sports car. Us too. We feel the same way. Or if it's not your seatbelt, you know, that moment when you're in the roller coaster, the beginning you don't know what's gonna happen that's how it starts it seems like oh this is gonna be safe and easy and fun just a little fun and then it gets thrilling exhilarating the ride heats up and you start spinning around and start going in circles and it's dizzying in fact (laughs) even when you're playing it to make sure you don't fall off the roller coaster
2: the trust that we are talking about here, it's, it's, it takes a lot of that. And it just playing off of each other, but also just hanging on <laughs> together until the very end.
0: Let's hear that then. It is a great way to end the album, by the way. So here is the conclusion of the Grand Duo Concertante by Carl Maria von Faber, as performed once again by clarinetist Anthony McGill and pianist Gloria Chen. You just heard the rousing and virtuosic conclusion of a piece by Carl Maria von Weber, his Grand Duo Concertante, Opus 48, for clarinet and piano, and it was performed by Anthony McGill Clarinet and Gloria Chen Piano, my guests on this classical Chicago podcast from Sadie Records. It's from their new album, Here With You, the Brahms Sonatas, plus the Weber Grand Duo Concertante and Jesse Montgomery's piece and if you like what you're hearing, and I certainly hope you've liked everything you've heard now, you can find this album on our website, cdrecords.org, c-e-d-i-l-l-e-records.org, all places that sell music, whether physically, amazon.com or archivemusic.com, as CDs or as downloads in iTunes or as streams on Spotify, Apple Music, Idagio, you name it. The album release date is... November 12. So that's when it'll become available on all the streaming sites and when pre-orders will ship from the other sites. So hope you'll want to get your order in now so you can enjoy it as soon as the album is released. Moving into the present, I wanted to ask for both of you, how has your life as a musician changed since venues started opening up again? And do you have full schedules for the 21-22 concert season?
2: Yes, for now. I guess remains to be seen dependent on the Delta variant. I can tell you that running a festival in July was very different feeling from running a festival last week. Just how people are feeling more optimistic and now there's a lot more anxiety again. Hats off to anyone who's had anything to do with music festival this summer because it just took so much to make sure everybody's safe and musicians and patrons and all the protocols and... And then to put on also the whole online concerts, now everybody have to learn to be producers and it's just a lot to juggle with. But what I can tell you is there's nothing like live music. And what I remember the most about the summer is really those first hugs, the reunions, the first sounds in the hall, people were in tears and the first applause and just nothing like it. And musicians also were saying, so grateful to have at least these weeks. And in case things get shut down again, they can hold on to this experience. But for now, all the presenters mostly are planning for full seasons. And we're just hoping for the best and keep everyone safe.
1: Yeah, things are on the horizon. And um, we're hoping that they continue. And so things are filling up for sure for the next couple seasons. That's great. But like Laurie said, we don't know for sure. But it's also like the same things we're doing with protocols with schools that we teach at. It's that this is where things stand now, but we will be ready to adjust if necessary, if we have to.
0: Well, I wanted to note that at least here in Chicago, it seems like all the performance venues are requiring proof of vaccination as well as masking. Mm -hmm. So my hope Mm -hmm. is that will help keep things at bay and allow us to have the concert season we're all hoping to have. We are recording this podcast at the very end of August 2021, but it won't air, of course, until a couple weeks before the album release in mid-November. In between now and then, of course, Anthony, uh, we're very grateful that you'll be performing at Sadie Records' annual gala in mid-September with the Pacifica Quartet. And, of course, that performance will revolve around the album that you'll have recorded with the Pacifica Quartet by the time this podcast airs. I should note that your very first CD album was with Pacifica. And that was classic repertory of Mozart and Brahms. Can you describe a little bit about the program that you're about to embark on with Pacifica?
1: Sure. I'm really excited about this album. First of all, to play with Pacifica again and record with them again is really great. There's a lot of variety in the things that I've gotten to record with Sadie. And this is an example of that, just to be able to record these pieces all by living composers, all with different backgrounds and different stories. That's why we decided to call the album American Stories because the journey of the music and the the shape and the variety of music, diversity of music is very similar to the composers and how they've all come from different places and had different journeys and a part of who they have become as artists is about communicating through music in a way that is unique just to them. So for us to be able to share that is really special. We have Valerie Coleman, we have Richard Daniel Poor, we have James Lee III, and Ben Shirley. And it's gonna be really exciting to record these and introduce some of these composers to the public if they haven't discovered them yet, and just to introduce especially the pieces to the public.
0: And I should note that Valerie Coleman will be no stranger to your fans as uh, her portraits of Langston, Langston being Langston Hughes, of course, appears on your second album for CD Records with your trio that features your brother, Tamari McGill on flute and Michael McHale on piano. What other projects uh, are on the horizon for you?
1: Well, we have a pretty interesting season of some different concertos and recital work, And we're also commissioning a couple different composers for some different concerto opportunities coming up soon, which I'm really excited about. I'm just excited to play music at this point. That's where I am with that. I'm just happy to be able to hold the clarinet in my hands and play music for people. So that's the biggest project, is that I'll be able to do that this coming year.
0: Wonderful. And this year includes a concerto with the wonderful Music of the Baroque Orchestra here in Chicago in, uh, I believe, February.
1: Yeah, that is true. We're doing Mozart concerto.
0: Excellent. Now, Gloria, curious what projects you're working on, both as a performer, as a soloist and chamber musician, and, of course, as a festival director.
2: Well, constantly learning new repertoire in chamber music, of course, with concerts coming up. Um, Most immediately, I guess, a recital with uh, violist Paul Neubauer with a variety of pieces, and also filming with Scott Yu for his TV show on PBS. We're about to announce our season in Portland on Thursday and also starting String Theory in October. So programming about 50 concerts a year and playing in all kinds of different combinations of ensembles and it's wonderful, keeps me very busy.
0: Earlier in this program, we talked about Anthony's Take to Knees initiative, which really did uh, catch on tremendously on the Internet, I think in part because you invited other players to make their own contributions, and some of those were very moving as well. In addition to that, how else have both of you been involved in the music world's long-overdue awakening to the need to bring more attention to the contributions of performers and composers
1: of color For me, it's been just a part of my life, not something new, Mm -hmm. um, if you will, to understand the value of, for instance, music education just as a thing that equalizes things. And it has never, since uh, probably the 60s or so, 70s, 80s, when music went out of the schools, it became the great unequalizer, if you will, that certain kids were granted access to music education and others weren't. So the work I've been doing over the last four or five years actually the last 10 years with different organizations, grassroots organizations, community music programs, and things like that has been great, but I've always been on the supportive side of that. And now I'm more on the ground level as far as um, affecting that change directly with the program I'm artistic director of called the Music Advancement Program through the Juilliard School. And that is a group of 70 diverse kids from the New York and surrounding areas it's a part of our mission to reach kids from underserved communities and to give them the best possible music education but also to like teach them to be leaders and successful people in the future so they can change their communities for the better as well. That's been really valuable for me and has gotten me through the last year but also has made me realize what my purpose in life is, and that's to make sure that more children get the same opportunities I got growing up in Chicago. That's really filled me up. And also, just on my own personal journey and education, I grew up in the same quote-unquote classic traditions of limited composers and limited repertoire, and I've also been able to expand my capacity for being able to choose to explore different composers that I was not aware of or, and to actually be able to choose to program different things on my own in order to make sure that we change the narrative going forward for artistic expression and classical music specifically.
0: I'd be curious to know if the efforts of another Sadie artist, violinist Rachel Barton Pine, with her Music by Black Composers program has uh, been of any help to you in that regard?
1: Yeah, I think it has, actually. And it's been inspiring, first of all, because I've known she's done this project for many, many years. This is not something new. But as we look for what to do, especially with music advancement program, we've started a commissioning project of our own. Because we've always had to go to resources like what Rachel Barton Pine has been doing to find any repertoire for performed composers and she has all of it right but for our kids and our program students in our program we realized you know what we need to put music that is written today in front of them as well we're commissioning etude books for their levels for our school and recital pieces for the pre-college program Mm. by living composers to this day a wide range of composers and Racist religions, gingers, all of it, to premiere and get the kids for next school year. That's something we're very proud of. And we're going to continue doing things like that, expanding what's possible.
0: And I feel I have to mention that that project of Rachel's actually was born out of a Sadie Records recording project, an album that was actually released back in 1997. Her second one on the label, which was actually a program with the Chicago Youth Symphonies, of violin concertos by black composers that made Rachel interested in exploring more of that repertoire. So that's one of the things we're probably most proud of at Sadie Records. You also mentioned response to music being taken out of the schools. And of course, I have to ask if what your work at the music advancement program at Juilliard is inspired by your musical upbringing through the Merit School of Music in Chicago, which of course was born out of an attempt to do something about music, having been taken out of the public schools.
1: Yeah, exactly. If 2020 was the Great Awakening, the the whole concept that people have known about this as a problem, like being new, is not really true. People have known that this is a problem in America for a very long time. Fortunately for me, I came along in Chicago at the time in the early 80s, where all of these things were very much not in the school system the public school's music, and yet through the awareness and thoughtfulness of people like Alice Falzer and one of the administrators and executives, Duffy Adelson, and I can name quite a few other people in Chicago through the Merritt School of Music, where they provide a tuition-free education for kids. A lot of us from the inner city, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. And so bad things happen, and then good people come along and do the right thing and can change lives. And they've changed a lot of lives, and the program's gotten much larger now. Merit is a household name in Chicago, and I'm really proud to be an example of what can happen when people step up and try to do the right thing. We don't have all the answers, but people try to make a difference, and they can.
0: So, Gloria, this recent, shall we say, wider awakening to the wonderful contributions of composers of color, both past and present. How has that affected your life as a performer and a programmer of music?
2: What you've all just been saying is incredible and inspiring and such important work for all of us. And for me, most immediately and effectively as a presenter is to support and commission and program and invite musicians of color. And we've done that. And also just actively creating platforms for people to engage in these conversations, not to decide anything, but just to learn more about each other and differences. Anthony's completely right. It takes something perhaps terrible to really have great things hopefully come out of it. And hopefully we can all be much more aware and appreciate and learn more about each other.
0: At the end of these Classical Chicago podcasts, I always like to ask musicians what makes the Chicago music scene special. Uh, Anthony, you gave a great answer to this question at the end of Classical Chicago podcast episode 27 when we were talking about your previous album of concertos with your brother DiMare, an album titled Winged Creatures after one of the works, um, worked by Michael Abels in that case. And I appreciate your mentioning Sadie in that answer as well. Um, But this time I'm going to ask you, how has the music scene here in Chicago changed from when you grew up here to the present?
1: As an outside observer, having not lived there for, you know, 30 years or 25 years, I think it's probably changed greatly. Chicago was always a great music city. So when I think about how it's changed, I mean, you probably know better than I, but it's always been full and full of music. But I feel like it's even more vibrant now. I feel like it's more of an international place in the music world. And I'm just talking about classical music right now because Chicago's always been known for different types of music and different genres of music. But I think classical music's place in the city has just grown. One thing that's very different is the attention that Grant Park brings, all of the architecture there and the spirit of that but also there's just so many great people going to Chicago to study music. Great people, of course, still coming out of Chicago that perform and play music. It's a thriving place where they're doing lots of new music in Chicago now, maybe more than ever, I can imagine. And it's a real bright spot for that city. And I I hope the city celebrates it more because I wish people thought more about the great, music that's coming out of Chicago, and, and I think that the music can actually help the city in many, many other ways. What I mean by that is that I think there are a lot of kids on the south side of Chicago and other neighborhoods of Chicago that would be helped by attention to arts and to education in general in the city. That it's a tradition of being left behind. A couple generations of kids that have been left behind And I think one example of that is that more of these people need to invest in their schools. They need to invest in their communities and to bring them into the school and to share music with them and to give them opportunity for success. And I think that's something that people are more aware of than ever. And so artistic organizations like Sidi and Merit and probably many others, we need more of those.
0: Mm -hmm. That's lovely. So, Mm -hmm. Gloria, I'd love to know about your musical experiences uh, when you've performed in Chicago and how it may be different from your experiences in other places you perform.
2: I think I've only been there a couple of times at Harris Theatre with the Chimam Music Society of Lincoln Center, and I've always thought of Chicago as one of the most vibrant arts community, music, dance, all of it, and my connection to Chicago Our younger son, his named Ryan, R-Y-N-E, after Ryan Sandberg. (laughs) My husband is a great Chicago Cubs fan and great fan of the number twenty-three. (laughs) But we didn't think to name him Michael or Jordan (laughs) or Devin Hester, but uh, we really liked Ryan, so that's my Great
1: connection to Chicago. He, he also <laughs> happens to be one of the world's great violinists, but you, <laughs> you didn't mention that. And my that. artistic director,
0: yeah. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. It's a great way to end the podcast, I think. So thank you both <laughs> so much, uh, Gloria and Anthony. Thank you. This has been another Classical Chicago podcast from City Records. Again, the new album is Here With You, the Brahms Sonatas plus Weber Grand Duo Concertante and Jesse Montgomery piece. November 2021 release on CD Records. I hope you'll check it out. Thank you so much for listening.